Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. On today's show, we welcome back our friend Shane Neville, indie developer currently working on Bunker Punks and the producer of Company of Heroes Opposing Fronts. Shane, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. We also welcome welcome back Blendo Games' Brendan Chung. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. So today we're revisiting Company of Heroes and Company of Heroes 2, but in particular, I want to talk about faction design over the course of this series. The British Forces expansion just came out for Company of Heroes 2, and that brings the British Forces into uh, a game that already had two German armies, the U.S. Army and the Red Army. You would think at a certain point, having a bunch of different World War II armies would start to feel like an exercise in model and texture swapping. But one of the things that I've started to appreciate lately is just how much variety Relic have managed to find and create in the Company of Heroes series. Shane, you actually worked on this series, so I'm going to put you on the the spot first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I feel like a lot of other RTS games seem to have a lot more room for asymmetry built in, either because of setting or uh, you know be, because or because of theme, uh, and they're not really tied to this really specific time and place of the Eastern Western fronts of World War II. Company of Heroes Two, on the other hand, has to at least have a nodding acquaintance with reality. Uh, how did Relic get around these limitations in the first game, and do you think their approach has evolved since then? Yeah, when I when I joined Company of Heroes, we were working on opposing fronts that had just started up, and we were looking at uh, building out the, the first expansion. And if you remember the original Company of Heroes, the original two armies, the American and the Germans, they were very, very close to each other in terms of unit composition, um, and play styles, you know, the, the Germans were a little bit more defensive and the Americans were a little bit more aggressive. And what we wanted to do with opposing fronts was really push that to the extremes and give the German side a really aggressive army with the Panzer Elite and give the, the Allies side uh, a really defensive army with the British. And so we really pushed to extremes. And I think looking now at, at Company of Heroes 2, um, that variety has continued. I don't think they're pushing quite as far you know the the british forces do feel defensive but they don't have that same you know in the original company of heroes you could just play sim city and just build up this this base of trucks and mobile hqs um that part is missing from from the british now but they still are pushing more on the defensive side so it's it's important and it's something that they are always considering um, it's interesting now that in the the structure of Axis versus Allies, that there's you know more armies on the Allies side than there is on the Axis. So it'll be interesting to see what Relic announces next, if they announce anything next. Yeah. So at the office, we played Company Heroes a lot, the just the U.S. versus the Wehrmacht, um, and we loved it. It was wonderful. But then when we heard about the um, expansion pack of British, uh, I'm sorry, opposing forces, I'm sorry, <laughs> with the British and the uh, Panzer Elite, we, um, it sounded bananas. It was like, oh, the British are all about hunkering down in one spot and just being a turtle. Panzer Elite is all about having no real fortification, just like moving around as much as possible. And that seemed so counter to what we've been playing for the past, you know, months and months. Um, so then we played it, and it's like, wow, it's it's amazing that Relic kind of flipped the table upside down and totally nailed it. 
you know, they they chose this extreme faction design, like Shane was saying, and they totally made it work. Although I think it's interesting because they have backed off from that original conception of of the UK, uh, and, and we can discuss the specifics of why they might have done that uh, in a moment. But it is interesting that um, you know I I feel like I remember there was a lot of complaining about the uh, British forces in opposing fronts uh, because they were a little too powerful as turtles. Like I remember, like there was. There, there was a feeling, I got the sense at least that within the, the multiplayer community, there was a sense that the British were a little bit cheap because you could, God knows I love doing this, you could arrange these elaborate like death traps because you were really almost this like, not quite a World War One army, but you were definitely sort of encouraged to just like dig in, control space using fortifications and officers, and uh, then just blast the hell out of everyone with the heaviest firepower you could. Uh, so it's it's interesting that like it was it was cool and it was really different and and i think it worked but i kind of feel like within the sort of hardcore multiplayer community uh you know even when this when this latest expansion came out for company of heroes 2 that came up again i was seeing that in in forum threads about it where it's like this better not be like opposing fronts this better not be like the old the old brits uh which which i find kind of interesting yeah because i well yeah you're right um I guess in the context of us, like we were just a bunch of people in the office doing land games. So I feel it was probably a very different uh, playing environment than, you know, competitive online stuff. So that's a good, really good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, a, a big part of that, like you said, the artillery was really big with the, the British and the original COH, um, but also the ability to really diverge from that. Like the commandos were really amazing in the original COH and you could get away with a lot of stuff on them. So you'd have this really defensive fortified position and then you'd have these elite stealth troops that could just play tons of tricks on people. Um, yeah, so there was there was some diversity there as well. So turning to a Company of Heroes 2 and you know this this sort of grab bag of armies we ha- we have at this point uh you know it's interesting because i think one of the 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 first when company of heroes 2 first came out uh, i was not a very big fan and there's still a lot of things that, that have left me ambivalent about it but uh i did an entire show with, with tom chick where we were just sort of bagging on the game you can go back and listen to it now uh but one of the complaints he and i both had was that uh in the original vanilla uh, Company of Heroes 2, the Red Army felt a lot like a complete retread of the U.S. Army from the original game, uh, to the point down to stuff like they're completely dependent on individual troops gaining experience, uh, where you know the German Army sort of leveled up uh, the 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 uh, capabilities of its troops, uh, you know, via tech tree, but the so- but the Soviets were all about like. You had to keep troops sticking around uh, in order to to unlock abilities and, and things like that, uh, and all of it just it made them feel very reminiscent of of an army we'd already played, and a bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, but now that you sort of now that we've got this game where they've reintroduced uh, the U.S. Army with a slightly different twist. And then you also have now two different flavors of uh, of German armies. It's I, I feel like there's a really interesting set of armies now in Company of Heroes 2 that I've really come to enjoy 
because in a way they all make me appreciate the the core game design a little more because they all emphasize different aspects of Company of Heroes design in ways that I find really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think with uh, the original, you know, obviously Eastern Front was a big push from the community since the original Company of Heroes released. So if, if the Eastern Front didn't come out in Company of Heroes 2, I think heads would have rolled in the community. Um, but then finding that personality, the arm of each each faction is really important and uh, then differentiating it. And so like, I always find, at least with my experience playing relic games as a, as a, both as a developer and as a huge fan of relic games is the initial game will come out, whether it's Dawn of War or company of heroes or whatever. And then if it gets more expansions, they build on that core personality of the two founding armies and they just push in different directions. And I think that, those those base paint strokes that came out with Company of Heroes 2 with the Eastern Front, um, the Red Army, and, and the Wehrmacht, that, that kind of set the template for all the other armies to come out afterwards. Yeah, and, you know, it's the thing that, I, that I've really come to appreciate about uh, Company of Heroes, I'm, I'm, I'm undergoing this sort of Company of Heroes renaissance, and it started because I was playing so much of it just to sort of figure out where the UK Forces expansion slotted in. But it sort of renewed my appreciation for the game as a whole because, you know, really, even though we're on Company of Heroes 2 now, we've been playing this this same basic game idea uh, for, God, what is it now, like nine years? Yeah. And some of the same maps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I've, I think I've logged, like, entire days on the Angoville map. Uh, yeah. from, you know, that's a, the basic, like, French, French like, hedgerow and, and farm country uh, that dates back to the first game. Uh, but there's still nothing else that's really doing the same thing as Company of Heroes. Not even the rest of the Dawn of War series, which both, I think, sort of served as the inspiration for certain parts of Company of Heroes, uh, but but then also followed up on Company of Heroes. Even those games uh, really haven't adopted sort of the the swath of of game concepts that are at work in Company of Heroes. And and I think one of the things I really enjoy about the British forces is that here was a faction that particularly leverages the use of uh, terrain and cover. Like it's always important. Like micromanaging troops around cover and fighting from buildings and behind obstacles is really crucial in this game. But the fact that now there's a faction that gets a pretty substantial bonus when they're fighting from cover, uh, just again, really makes this a, a, a game where suddenly you're thinking about like, oh man, I need to get those guys to vault over the fence. Uh, it's it's a weird thing. Like, what other RTS would you be playing where, like, you 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 give it a move order and then you realize, like, oh wait, no, don't go that way. You, it's it's absolutely critical that I, I that I double click on the little stone wall so you vault over it and get right into cover. Uh, there, there's not much else like that. I I've been really deep into StarCraft II and the competitive scene over the last few months, uh, maybe the last year or so, and uh, coming back into Company of Heroes. At first, it was like this this big wall of like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And just kind of reorienting myself with the mechanics and everything with COH. Um, but then I understood the, understood the beauty of it and just how important the map is. And one thing that uh, I really like about Company of Heroes is, is the map is kind of the, the story piece. 
you know so at the start of the the game the map is all clean and everything's pristine and wonderful and at the end the buildings are all blown up and there's fires everywhere and bushes are mowed down and a lot of times at the end of a really good battle as you're coming down from the rush and everything you just kind of pan across the map and you just kind of remember the confrontations that happen there and that map integration as being more than just a series of bottlenecks and resource points is really important. And that's, you know, like I said, the buildings, the cover, you know, hopping over fences, um, hiding in cover because you've got a stealth unit and where they're positioned. All those different things are really important. And uh, I think with Company of Heroes 2, obviously Relic had developed a lot of expertise in building these maps and understanding how that worked. And it really felt like they dug deeper into those mechanics to make the armies and the units and everything work to take advantage of that big differentiator with the map. Yeah, when you're talking about like looking at the map um, at the office, I used to work at Pandemic Studios and the programmers and designers and us would play land games every lunch. And my favorite part of that was that at the end of the match, we would just look at all the craters and look yeah. at all the buildings. Like, oh, that was the time that you brought out that tiger. And oh, that was the time that you built the bridge and you know, my infantry fell down the river. And this game has that more than I've, you know, the, it, I often say like Company Heroes is kind of the RTS that made it impossible for me to play other RTS games. Because there's something <laughs> about this, like, when you're saying that you, you you return to company heroes, and for me, I I find that it's really easy to do because the base fundamentals of company heroes are so unique and so like intelligently designed. Uh, the territory system and the destructibility and the cover system, and these are all stuff that are just part of the moment to moment gameplay. They're not even like special things unique to classes. Um, it's things you're doing just like every two seconds. And that stuff is just so strong in this game. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to follow up on there, but I also just want to throw out a, a little comment about the maps. Uh, Cause something that really strikes me as well is how well the maps create the sense of place and the sense of, um, I don't know, like almost reality. It's because I'm always startled when I hit alt, right? And I, I move the camera down and suddenly you can see the skybox. <laughs> and it feels like, okay, suddenly you realize you're in this like kind of chintzy little like sandbox, right? Like that, like it's a really small map. It's the maps aren't that big. You can see from one end to the other. And like once you're at that gr ground level, the models are cool, but you can definitely tell, like, oh man, you're totally playing a video game, you know? <laughs> but. For most of the time when you're playing it from like your traditional RTS perspective, it feels like you are completely like, you know, just like staring down into this World War II battle. And it's it's a it's a really it's a really startling thing when I finally get to the ground level and like sort of the gaminess of it uh, is is firmly revealed. But but for for a lot of the time you're spending on those maps, it really just feels like you 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 have this little window into a battlefield in 1944 or something like that. It's it's a really cool feeling. Yeah, Definitely. it's funny that you use the word sandbox because uh, how I always like to think about COH is like when I play other RTSs, it's like a kid with a magnifying glass and they're at the anthill and they're just using their magnifying glass to like zap units and things just die. And when you play Company of Heroes, you've got a shovel 
and you're just <laughs> digging into the anthill and wrecking it and everyone's running all over the place and there's this this substance to it and and like the sand that's exactly like, yeah you kind of meant sandbox as a derogatory term but that's what it's like because you can do it like in a sandbox you can build things up you can knock them down you can change the map by building barriers and digging trenches and changing how the game plays for everyone um all those different things are really great and uh it's a big part of coh i'm gonna throw yeah. in one more go on oh when you said the word substance that kind of totally made me think that of the fact that company heroes does such a good job at making everything in its world something touchable and something interactable like nothing feels static in this game except for maybe the river but other than that, they, even the dirt can turn into craters and be cover pieces. Um, and kind of I'm playing Metal Gear Solid Five right now, and that's another game where it's like they made the game feel very touchable and interactable because everything is physically simulated, and so it kind of makes the game feel like this really uh, this thing that can react to everything that you do. And that, for me, it gives it that really strong feeling of substance. Well, it gives yeah. you this interesting relationship to things that would normally just be props on a map where like uh do i want to put my sniper in this church overlooking the central square right now because i know eventually that the moment a unit goes in that church that church is event like the timer starts in that church eventually someone is just going to blast it down with artillery or tank fire one way or another it's gone and there might be a point where later in the map i'm really gonna wish i had something set up from that position because it's so strong and so perfect. So it's really a question of when do I want to utilize it? Uh, you know, when do I want to, like, how long do I want these guys to hang out behind this, uh, you know, rusted out uh, truck versus, you know, start building uh, sandbag barriers and, and things like that. Like, these are these are not things you really think about in, in other games, the possible exception maybe of, like, um, Bad Company 2. But... It's it's really cool in this game where everything has this uh, sense of of utility and also uh, fragility. Yeah, and I, I like I think it's not just do I put them in the church? Well, is the church made of wood or is it you know this ancient stone <laughs> church that's way more indestructible? Because that matters too, and that it matters is so amazing because when you're you're scoping out a map and you're trying to decide what to do. It's like, well, do I put them in this little shed? That doesn't provide a lot of coverage. But over here, we've got, you know, a metal factory building. So I think I'm going to put them in there because that's going to give them more protection. Uh, so I just wanted to throw in one tangent as well because you're talking about sort of the story of the destruction on a map. And, uh, my, like, one of my absolute best games uh, with with Company of Heroes 2 came in this ridiculous, uh, while I was reviewing uh, the UK Forces expansion, it came in this ridiculous game where, like, you know how sometimes you got a lead, but you just completely fall apart? And we'll, we'll discuss how you can catch up in this game. But, like, I was in a really good position. I had, you know, map control basically across the board and everything. Maybe I was spread out a little too thinly, but I just got hammered and rolled and then rolled again and eventually into that ended up in that horrible situation where you're fighting basically outside your base just trying to get hold of like you know one control point maybe two uh and you know you're 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 just frantically patching up the same tank and you know the same two anti-tank guns have been sort of a fire brigade running back and forth and the crew's been killed four or five times 
And uh, eventually, though, the the guy I'm playing, uh, he shouldn't have done it, right? He should have just sat back and, and let himself win. But he was really determined just to, to deliver the knockout blow by overrunning the base. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, I, I finally got that, that golden moment where, like, He'd walked into a, a couple crossfires, and a lot of his armor had had died all in one go. Plus, my troops were getting insanely uh, experienced during all this. Yep. So, like with each wave, um, his troops are taking losses and getting worse, and mine are getting more and more deadly. Like my my tanks weren't on a level with his because uh, we were playing a, we were playing a custom. Uh, he was Soviets and and I was uh, UK, and the Soviet tanks are are really pretty beastly in in the late game but you know my guys were just hitting harder and you know i was i was able to sort of stop the bleeding but then i look and um well the important context for this is i had him so far on the ropes he was down to like 50 60 tickets uh when when he when he started mounting his comeback and i'd been up at like 400 like (laughs) we're talking like huge swing where i just completely fallen apart and i was down to uh oh probably like 35 tickets or, or, or something like that, uh, when I'd finally stabilized the situation. And uh, so I literally have, like, minutes, seconds to salvage this game. Uh, but I was playing the British Commando Forces, and uh, their sort of big endgame god power is the saturation bombing run. Uh, that they can that they can call in. And so I just rallied all my forces into one place, and... I knew roughly where his main troops were concentrated. So I just called in the saturation bombers. They come roaring overhead, and it's really impressive as hell. Uh, total total video card murder. Uh, just because, like, these things come in, the, the camera's, like, practically shaking, like, and everything's just blowing the hell up. Like, I get a glimpse of his units as they're just consumed by this, like, wall of fire and smoke. And my troops are following, because it's a crawling bombardment. Uh, the bombers go all the way across the map, and it's just a column of death. And my troops just follow it all in. And they're mopping up frantically as, as they pass, and they they get onto the center capture point, then split to the sides really quickly to grab the other capture points. And uh, I manage to steal them, and I end up winning the match. Uh, I'm down to like seven or eight tickets, I think, uh, when he finally hit zero, um, which was the greatest comeback I've ever had <laughs> in this game, by the way. It was it was it was absolutely amazing. And this happens at like two thirty in the morning. And so like <laughs> the sleep was not going to happen, right? Like it's a disaster from that perspective, because I was so like high on adrenaline that I, I I was I was practically shaking. But the thing is, the great part was there's this moment right at the end of the game where like I got to look at the map and it's the refinery map in Company of Heroes 2 the UK forces and it's a, it's a typical industrial refinery but by this point the map was completely gone like that last bombing run and the the fighting fr- back and forth across the map the map was just this morass of like blackened earth shattered buildings like dead tanks everywhere and it was just this just this like disgusting moonscape uh, and it was absolutely glorious because it just made it made everything that had happened feel a little more real, right? Yeah, I'm sure you had a couple of, of gliders parked somewhere out too that were like beat up husks because oh, you'd yeah. flown in some commandos at some point. It's <laughs> like how those things add to the environment. Like, because all they they do is they just like you could 
deposit them in a, in a less impactful way, you know, mechanic wise, but because you've got this big, huge glider and it comes in and its wings break off and the group pops out. And then of course the glider gets blown up because it can reinforce your guys. Um, that, that husk reminds you of that moment. And it's so great to go through and see all those different things. Yeah. Cause like everything that happened was something that you did or your opponent did. And it's just like this permanent marker that's there forever. It's really great. So, Brendan, you, you said something that uh, you said it was sort of easy to get back into this game in, in some ways. Uh, and for me, I think it was it was actually surprisingly hard getting back into the swing of this game because I had forgotten. I've been, like Shannon, I've been playing a lot of other RTSs and I had forgotten how different this thing really is from other RTS games, and even different from, I think, other Relic RTSs like Dawn of War 2. Because what what really sort of surprised me, and to completely relearn how this worked, is the fact that um, this is not a game where everything exists in this sort of like virtuous uh, cycle uh, toward toward victory, right? Like, so to make the, the StarCraft comparison, uh, you know, StarCraft, you you expand, you get more resources, you build the more, you build the bigger army, you inflict economic damage, you get a little more map control that gives you more resources to build the bigger army, blah blah blah. It all goes together to sort of give you an edge. Here, if you try to sort of just run away with the game and just sort of like boom early and take a win uh you actually are weakening yourself in in some key ways and i find that really interesting and also a really good way to solve i think one of rts's big problems which is that a lot of times the snowball effect feels so overwhelming that you're completely at sea right you lost and you don't even know how you lost or you don't even know how you ever could have gotten into that game but Company of Heroes 2 is really about, like, this tension between needing more forces out on the map and being pretty richly rewarded for doing as much as you possibly can with the least amount of forces you need. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I think what, when you're talking about how it was kind of difficult to get back into it, I, I totally understand where that's coming from. I I think from my experience with RTS games is that oftentimes when I play them, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like I'm on a sliding scale of between doing well and doing poorly. And like sometimes I go to the left of that scale, some to the right of the scale. But there's something about Company of Heroes where um it kind of reminds me, I think, so the, the, the writer, Kara Ellison, was describing soccer to me once. Mm -hmm. And she was describing soccer as being this very elegant, fluid sport. Because the field is always kind of in this state of flux. It's always changing. It's always organically kind of like shifting around. And for me, that's kind of why I like Company Heroes. Why, why it appeals to me so much. And that constantly the field is always kind of changing hands. Suddenly that flak cannon that you built has become a huge liability. And now the enemy has it. And now the enemy has this huge stranglehold over this area. And then you the artillery and then you take it back. And then the field kind of tilts 90 degrees. And then suddenly I'm coming from this direction. Um, 
And for me, that just keeps me coming back to this game. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because I, I am firmly aware that I'm probably not even using half of the resources I, I really could be using. Like, as I was getting ready for the show, I started looking up some more advanced uh, game guides on KOTU, uh, KOTU.org. And uh, one of the interesting things is that people have, like, map breakdowns of, like, well, here's where you lay your barbed wire, here's, you know, where you deploy a minefield, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, boy, I don't do any of that stuff. Like, I mean, I do, but I, it's not like I, I, it's not like I have set locations on a map where I'm like, all right, so you you come in here, you put the wire here, the tank trap here, and and then you just murder everyone. And it's really impressive to me that, of course, you can do that because there's so because the game allows you all these different tools uh, that, that, that you, can, you can employ to sort of like reshape the battlefield. And it's, it's really impressive that like, you know, it's almost like you can edit the map in this game. Uh, it's not just that the map is destructible, but that every faction has these really key ways of sort of changing the terrain of the battle. Uh, which again, I find uh, I, I find really different from just about everything else out there. Yeah, and I was watching uh, this past weekend, Co2.org, uh, which is the, the main Company of Heroes Two uh, community site. They're running a community tournament right now called Operation Charlie Fox, and that's streaming on uh, I think it's called Sunday Night Fights on Twitch. And I was watching some of those games and uh, watching the top tier players play and come in and put down their barbed wire that's, you know, maybe six feet wide in game space, you know, but it's, it's vitally important because it stops people from flanking them in this position and then watching the game evolve from this, this micro of, you know, where do you put this little piece of barbed wire? Where do you put this little mine? Uh, things like that to, you know, 20 minutes later, you've got tanks battling it out. Um, and every single stage of the game, there's really important decisions to be made I really like that about the game. And I like that different people will have their optimal builds. And, you know, sometimes someone will pull out a build that is very map centric in that, like, I'm going to rearrange your map because I think you're going to play this way. So I'm going to bottleneck you here by doing this. And it's a, an interesting way to play maps uh, for an RTS because it really, it's like you said, it, let, it lets you redraw the map. It lets you redefine where the bottlenecks are and it lets you take the battle on your terms. And that's a big part of what makes Company of Heroes work out really well is because traps and flanking is so much more effective in COH than in most RTSs. And so if you can bait somebody in and flank them uh, and catch them from behind or from the side, you're going to do so much more damage than they are to you. And and that's really the core of the the gameplay mechanics and how different factions take advantage of that and set up those traps on different maps. is is That's the depth and beauty of the game. And I felt that one of the more interesting decisions was in making those barbed wire and tank traps and sandbags basically free of all cost. And I felt like I was being invited to, like, we really want you to mess around with these systems and create these interesting um, scenarios that, you know, give you these interesting tools to play with and then see what you come up with. I think that's one of the better, more interesting things about it. 
And then there's the fact that each faction, I, I think, really takes advantage of of different aspects of, of this game. And so, you know, I, I think with the British, of course, you have both the uh, you have you have the cover, and then you and then you have the ability to sort of uh, build heavy defensive structures, uh, and with the Soviets, you, you, you have sort of this ability to, you've got a lot of troops, basically, and you can, you can really throw troops around, but you're rewarded, uh, you know, for, for keeping them alive. Like veterancy is especially important for, for Soviet armies, but then just the way they like the way they control space, the way they can move around the map, the, the British outs after the early game, I think the British become fairly immobile. In, in a lot of ways, they they have to sort of like clear and hold, and then sort of fight their way out to a new control point, uh, where where is like you know okay like uh, OKW uh, Overcommando West can really main, maintain this the, this constant like cross map pressure like the 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 thing about OKW is it's like playing whack a mole. Uh, and you know like I I think this is one of the things that can be hard to get into when. Uh, when you start playing Company of Heroes, and I think it's one of the big mental leaps I had to make, is that you always have to be out there capturing points or denying points on the map. Like, the skirmishing needs to be almost constant. Again, this is different from other RTS games where it can be good to just sort of, like, hang on to what you have and build up your army. Uh, in Company of Heroes, you really always need to be out there showing the flag and, and, and skirmishing over over uh control points but not every army is equally good at that you know like after again like after the 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 early game the the brits kind of get stuck around whatever parts of the map they've identified as as critical whereas you know uh you know okw can kind of be projecting forces everywhere and constantly forcing the enemy to sort of spread out uh, to, to sort of shut them down uh, while the, the OKW are just sort of husbanding resources for, for a big, uh, you know, deadly armored push later in the game. Yeah, and I think a, a big part that plays in too is like in, in a lot of RTSs, you just kind of, a lot of times that you'll, you'll have your death ball of, of clumped up forces and that's always really effective and it's effective in COH as well. But you'll oftentimes just leave units unattended and if you do that in COH, one grenade, and you just hear mm. squad lost, and you're like, oh, man, and that was like a double veterancy. Oh, that sucks. And you just like you kick yourself for not watching the minimap. So what you do is you start, you know, capture a point, and you move right away. And so you're constantly keeping like, an ins- like a, a clock inside your head of like where people are capturing the points because as soon as they capture that point, you want to get away from it. And if they're, you know, they're, you know, 10 seconds away from just taking it away from the opponent and they're under fire, you might wait until there's two units left and it becomes a neutral point. Then you hit the T button and you fire off the retreat and get them back in base. And that is really interesting because like when you play a lot of other RTSs, you kind of focus on your, your macro or your, yeah, your, your macro game and you're keeping your economy running, but often your forces are one or two big clumps. And in COH, you're, you're all over the map all the time. And if you're not, like you said, if you're not moving, you're losing. And that, it's stressful. And, uh, you know, I, I, last couple of nights I've been playing so much COH that I've had COH dreams because I'm constantly mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, is this control point going away? And, like, that's what I dream about is 
COH control point management. And <laughs> that's great, though, because that's what really compels the game and keeps you into it. When you're playing COH, you, there's no multitasking. You're fully into it because you have to be looking at the map all the time. And and I think that the sort of push-pull across the map also makes it so that... um, Well... So this this is a game where things don't necessarily have to Okay, so like to compare it to StarCraft. Uh StarCraft if things end in the early game, chances are someone screwed up or someone did a really cheesy thing and and that kind of kind of ended the game. But like in Company of Heroes 2, you can actually have games where you've been playing for a while but nobody's really bringing out that many advanced units because the skirmishing has been so intense and so omnipresent across the map that everyone is just kind of you know feeding troops out there as quickly as they can produce them uh it's and, and there are certain there are certain armies where you absolutely actually need to delay the onset of those late game units by just sort of denying territory and and conducting that harassment and forcing out sort of weaker units uh so that they they can't you know the so that like for instance so that okw can't just build like a king tiger and start steamrolling you know through through the map and i really enjoy how much variety that ends up introducing because it's kind of this um the like the battle there there's a rhythm to these battles certainly and like you get a sense for like okay this guy has sort of gone back to his base and he's clearly building up for something so i probably need to start getting ready for an armored push so i either need anti tank guns or i can save money from for tanks of my own something like that but what's cool is this is a decision that both players can can make and they can interact with each other's decisions, right? Like both players by accident can create a company of heroes game where the entire thing is basically settled with infantry and armored cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a big part of it too, especially in comparison to, to Starcraft is Starcraft. You're, you're often scouting for tech and tactics, right? You want to know what they're developing so you can develop the counter to that in COH. You can't go walking off into the fog of war. If you're playing COH2 and you send off a squad to go capture something, you don't know where your opponent's forces are and you aren't keeping an eye on them, they can get flanked and wiped out really fast. And so this boldness of going into the space, like the scouting in COH is about scouting the map and seeing where your opponent's forces are on the map and where they're rallying and where they're repairing and trying to take advantage of that uh, versus trying to guess which tech they're going into next, which is also a factor, but that's not the point of scouting like when you call in you know commandos and the commanders are gliding overhead i'll follow the plane so i can see what they see just to see if there's any forces underneath mm-hmm. the plane and and then maybe flank them because i've got a good information on where their forces are at yeah when you mentioned like you know, the army's getting richer i think one thing that i really like about it is that of is of that retreat functionality so you just press T at any time, and your infantry just gets this huge defense bonus, runs back to HQ, and they can regroup. Um, and I find that what happens is that as I play, my army just gets more and more diverse with these more and more, just this ragtag, motley crew of whatever has survived the battle. 
And there's something really cool about having to use this um, kind of organically made group of people who have survived the battle and trying to figure out a way, how do I use this? How do I use a puma and a mortar? And how do mm -hmm. I use that the best way that I can? Uh, there's something really great about that. Yeah, especially when you loot one of your opponent's vehicles oh or yes. <laughs> you know, weapons or something like that. You're like, I didn't plan on having a machine gun, but I got one now. So what are we going to do with it? Yes, there's so many little surprises like that. It's so delightful. Um, something, something about the preservation also that I'm not sure what's happening under the hood, but it always felt like, and maybe I'm just fooling myself, but it always felt like when my infantry, when my units got down to like a very small amount of health, that they would get some sort of heroic last sand thing where like they would start being a little bit more resistant and like they would just they just wanted me to like it felt like it was calling for me to like retreat your guy he's down to a very small amount of health um but whatever was happening it felt like my characters had this sense of personality like no that, they was, were that last guy is always really hard to kill though it it's is. an interesting thing like and i don't know like i i kind of do what's ha wonder what's happening under the hood because like especially because in those early encounters you really want to kill that squad you really want to get that kill so they have to pay the full fee for bringing another squad out but it is really tough unless they've basically stayed way too long at the fair and you're you've surrounded them it's really tough <laughs> to get that last guy that last that last like you know pixel of health has a, has a way of staying there Yes, that last pixel is the cause of many great stories and of also many great, you know, headaches. It's like it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah, and and that's a big part about COH too is is randomness. Like a lot of RTSs are just straight up facts. X unit deals X damage to X other unit. And COH, you could have the numbers against you, but if the dice roll in your favor, you might just come out ahead in that battle. And I think that 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 randomness is is great too because it it forces you to play really really smart and not just you know okay well i've got you know two groups of tommies here and he's got you know two sets of riflemen so we're going to win this battle no matter what it's like no you don't know <laughs> yeah it adds this sense of danger to every battle like even if i have five tanks versus one anti-tank gun that anti-tank gun might get lucky and just like destroy everything that i have and there's something about that that i like that keeps me on my feet well and, and then just the 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 way the economy is structured so that um the more forces you have out on the map the slower your manpower pool uh fills up so you you get manpower at a certain at a certain rate and when you're basically wiped out or when the game has just started, your manpower is coming in very fast. And when you've got a lot of forces out of the map, it comes in very, very slowly. And so that becomes your bottleneck. Whereas the other resources sort of, you just go out on the map, you, you capture points, and you those, those come in like a traditional RTS where the, you, you just sort of boom up. The more you control, the more you get, the more you can use. But having that... that one resource work differently from the others allows for these these really these these really cool comebacks right where like someone can basically just turtle up and 
you know, stake everything on one last, uh, you know, manpower-based army uh, push. Now, if, if they're really screwed and it's pure manpower they're relying on, they're totally host. Like, it's going to be human wave <laughs> attack. Like, that's not going anywhere. But it's it's still really cool that, like, the the person with, with everything out on the map who is ostensibly leading has a really brittle force in certain ways because like those losses are actually hard to replace because the manpower is going to come in very slowly uh whereas the other the other player has this has this this one advantage at least in that they get to choose what they can bring out uh very 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 quickly and they and they can replenish very quickly and it also leads to these cool situations where um in in this game, more than a lot of other RTSs, uh, you know, you, Shane, you were talking about the, those moments where uh, you're you're sort of you're sort of seeing what you can do with this weird grab bag of units. And I think one of the other interesting things is a lot of times this is a game that forces you to sit there while bad things are happening, <laughs> and you can see you can buy the decent unit right now that your guys need at this exact moment but if they can just hang on for like three more minutes you can bring out the really really badass unit that could possibly turn this game around or win the game but then how much like is there going to be anything left for it to to save and so it's it's there's these these really cool like resource calculations you have to make on the fly in this game that tie back into that sort of ground level like you know house to house you know yard by yard fight that's happening on the map yeah i was watching a uh one of the the tournament matches from Operation Charlie Fox, and it was, I think it was the final match of the day, and it was one of those amazing matches that comes down to one person has 12 points when the other person wins. Just, you know, super, super close game. And in the late game, uh, one guy was playing the Americans with Armored Company, and uh, what he was doing is he was unmanning all of his M10s so that he would have less of a manpower count. So he would bring in more manpower while they what? were on man. So he had the crews out on the map doing stuff um, just to build up manpower. And then he'd run them back to the M10s when a tiger would be on the map. To, and he would do these crazy suicide rushes of like five M10s against a tiger. And so his, his opponent picked, like got three anti-tank guns or four anti-tank guns to try and counter the M10s. And there's this amazing battle but it was all because you know the americans have a, a, a weaker late game and so he was using every single little exploit he could to put him back in the game and keep things going and so the the commentators were debating whether or not this exploit of unmanning your vehicles to get a manpower boost is intended or not and i, I have no idea if it is or isn't but i just thought it was amazing that that's that's the level that they're manipulating this little mechanic in competitive play <laughs> that's amazing oh my god uh i i think the 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 tanks in themselves are are you know almost worth it worth a conversation because i feel like that's another area where the differences between the factions really makes itself felt uh you know the it, it was weird when the when the uk forces when the british forces expansion came out people were saying well their their tanks are better and they're, they're better at everything 
I was like, yeah, their, their, their tanks are really good at killing most things except other tanks. Like, <laughs> like a lot of the Allied armies, the exception of the Soviets, uh, the Soviet late game at least, uh, you know, the, the British and Americans are dealing with these tanks that um, they're all sort of multi-role by default or the tank-killing specialists are actually really shabby tanks, right? Like, yeah, they're glass know, cannons. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you end up in a slugging match against even a mediocre German tank uh, with your with your so-called tank killer, uh, you're, you're screwed. Uh, it's, it's just not going to go your way. So you always have to be microing around these things. And uh, it was it was interesting that it, that one I got into a discussion with a with someone on uh, who was commenting on my IGN review. Uh, they didn't like how it, it felt like there are these huge disparities among the factions and and this is interesting because just just a couple weeks ago we were we were talking about the active aggression rts and one of the points that tom chick made was that this is a game that lets you upgrade all of your units to cover to to develop counters for their counter it's a very strange thing but like an active aggression you can build a tank and then later you can upgrade your tanks to get uh anti-helicopter missiles and stuff like that, or point defense cannons that shoot down incoming missiles. It's a weird thing, but it allows every unit to sort of become this uh, this sort of general purpose unit and, and stop being weak uh, weak against a certain thing. And uh, you know, here in in Company of Heroes, I, I I kind of I kind of like that these disparities exist i and and i i like that um i'm not sure that they're that, that they're necessarily balanced like the the this this commoner's main point was that when the king tiger appears on the map there's like nothing in the allied arsenal that can deal with it like the the king tiger can literally just sort of like bull rush uh you know two three positions in quick succession and just shrug off whatever you can throw at it it's really a monster to bring down but a, I'm not sure it's that unbalanced because of the huge opportunity cost it it takes to just deploy that unit. But I think even more importantly, there are certain things that each army should be able to bring out that feel like just this complete nightmare or huge pain in the ass, right? Like at least that that's kind of what I want. Like I like that this is a game that in the late game, in particular, starts bringing out those great war movie moments, right? Like remember in saving private Ryan where it's straight, it's, it's lifted straight out of Jurassic park where they can feel the rumble of the tanks. And then you start to hear the, the, the squeaking of, of the, uh, of, of the German tanks. And it's this like horror movie moment, you know, it stops being a war movie for a moment and it becomes like, Oh my God, the monsters here. And I love that Company of Heroes has certain units that have that exact that that exact effect on the match, where oh, it's like, when, oh god! When you hear them it. rumbling in the fog of war, you're just like, oh, it's coming, isn't it? There it is. There's the tiger. Oh, what do I do now? And you're just you're rubbing your head, thinking, oh, how do I counter this? I was not expecting it, but you hear it before you see it, which is so great with sound coming out of the fog of war. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I like a lot is that this game spends so much energy and so much effort in making this game feel like a war movie. Like They spend so much time on presentation, on the really great audio and the sound bites, and just putting you in this space. And it's not about just pure game mechanics. It's about 
how do they present these units? How do they move around? How do they, and like actually making them intimidating because they are literally impossible for some units to counter. Like this unit can do absolutely nothing against my tank. And there's something nice about that of like, I have a tank and you have a machine gun. I am, I can do anything to you I want. And there's something wonderful about that. Yeah, and it's, you know, Company of Heroes has a lot of asymmetrical armies. And I think that that's a strength. And so where other people might see disparity in it, um, what am I trying to say? I, I teach part-time at Vancouver Film School in the game design program. And I talk to a lot of students who are working on strategy games. And when they talk about balancing their games, they talk about giving all the factions the same tools. And I think that's a really wrong way to balance because then you end up with a lot of armies that play very similarly and don't have any unique strengths or weaknesses. And I think that Company of Heroes 2 and the original Company of Heroes did that very well where they had very different armies that had some incredible strengths and some incredible weaknesses. And if you knew your army's strengths, your opponent's weaknesses, and how to use the map, you're probably in a really good position. But if you, let's say you just play nothing but Americans, and then you switch to the British forces and you try and play them like you would play the Americans, you're going to lose a lot of games, right? And so I think a lot of people see that. They say, oh, well, it's it's out of balance. But, you know, obviously the British forces probably aren't balanced yet because the community is still working on it. But the balance team at Relic, you know, they are tireless in trying to keep the game balanced um, at the competitive scale. And what, you know, what we always said at Relic was, we make the game playable for the general player, but we always tune for the highest levels of competition. And so that might mean that somebody who isn't at the elite level might be like, man, there's nothing you can do against the King Tiger. But at the highest level of competition, people might say, well, if you let your opponent get to that position, that's, that was your first mistake. You know? And so it's really you know, balancing these asymmetrical armies is, is a challenge, but it, it's also what gives the game so much depth because you can spend weeks playing the same army and then switch to another army and have to start over at square one again and just relearn all the different nuances of encounters and strengths and weaknesses. One thing I wanted to bring up here is that this has the this game has a kind of a weird structure in that it's designed to be access and allies. It's other RTS games, right? They're meant to be like, you know, it's it's this Hobbesian RTS state of nature where like everyone is fighting everyone else. Like, you know, like canonically, like Protoss and Terrans aren't friends. Zerg and Terrans aren't <laughs> friends. Uh, and this is pretty much true across RTSs. And this is a game where you can absolutely play custom games where you put allied armies against each other and like team up with German armies and like your, your German, your German American forces fighting a British Soviet force. You can absolutely do that. But the game is steering you towards and what it's, what it's tuned around is these axis versus versus allies, uh, battles and I, i'm not entirely sure how i feel about it because again like one of my greatest games was a british versus soviets uh you know battle that that turned out to be really really cool but it is an interesting decision to sort of 
separate these armies, separate who's going, who's supposed to be fighting who along those lines. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like whether you feel that art, art like artificially limits the game or whether you think it, it, it frees up opportunities for for even a little for faction design to stretch even a little more. Uh, I'm I'm not sure what to make of it myself. I, I personally don't like it because um, I like watching, you know, historical fiction that rewrites history, and so I want to see what happens when the Americans fight the Russians, and I want to see what happens if there was a, a German civil war in the middle of. World War II and Germans are fighting Germans. I want to see what happens if the same forces are mirrored against each other. And I think that a lot of RTSs do that really well because there's a weird fantasy that we we go through when we play video games. And uh, so it, it that's one thing that I never, you know, like I, I got why they did it and, and why they, they continue to do it on the competitive scene. And obviously it makes, I think it makes balancing for competition a lot simpler. Um, when you've only got to balance your army against three other armies or two other armies versus all of the other armies at the same time. Um, but just from a, like a game player standpoint, I love to create these fictional stories of, you know, what if this army fought this army and how would that fold out? And uh, so for me, I'm not a big fan of it, but I, I get why it's there. Um, but uh, I wish it wasn't. Yeah, in the office we would often play um, uh, Veer River Valley. This map where it's these really strong choke points, and it's really narrow, and just ended the game. Usually, just ended up in a stalemate, stalemate the entire time. Um, and one of our dream matches was like, what if we could do British on British on this map? And uh, it would have been like this is kind of morbid curiosity to see what this would have done. I'm sure it would have been like really dubious, maybe, but. Um, it would have yeah, been was, artillery was... and gliders everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, and it was a really interesting design decision to like to uh, to let that happen in Company Heroes too, because then now you can do the custom game and just like yeah, let's just have you know a bunch of Americans fighting a bunch of Americans. Um, and so I'm saying from a from a player point of view, I think this is amazing. I think it's wonderful. Um, but yeah, from a game development point of view, that sounds pretty hairy. <laughs> So, you know, the one thing I've, the, the thing that I hesitate over about this game is that there are certain changes from Company of Heroes 1 that I still just don't like. Uh, I don't like the way you make choices about your commander compared to Company of Heroes 1. Like, Company of Heroes 1, you had these interesting, like, these interesting sets of like binary choices, right? You you could have A or B at each sort of tier of experience, which so you could sort of customize what powers you're going to get. Here in Company of Heroes 2, you're stuck with the system where the most interesting decision you're going to make with this is going to be the first one. Uh, you know, when when do you when do you commit to a commander with all these special abilities, and uh, which commander do you pick? But once you've clicked that little commander portrait, you're locked in. Like that, you're you're gonna get what you're gonna get based on your experience level, and and that's that's the end of the story. That is still a decision I I find uh just like why take that gameplay? Why take that? Why take that uh on the fly customization away from players? I don't fully get it. 
But I think the the real thing I go back and forth with on this game, and it, it still haunts me ever since uh, Tom Chick and I went back and forth on this like two years ago. Tom, Tom's main objection uh, back then was like, we both agree that Company of Heroes 2, uh, it was a new game then, Company of Heroes 2 is inferior to Company of Heroes uh, Gold Edition with opposing fronts built in. Like, it's a it's a lesser game. Uh, it, it introduces a lot of things we don't like. How can you justify playing Company of Heroes 2 when Company of Heroes 1 exists? And now there's a lot more Company of Heroes 2 uh, to choose from. At the same time, getting all of Company of Heroes 2 is now a a hundred dollar uh proposition like it's it's this it's this weird thing where company of heroes 2 has it's cool to see a game supported this way and to see a game always expanding like this but at the same time it has this problem that uh, that i associate with with a lot of things uh, trends i just don't like in that everything is sort of carved up and and chopped apart and that can be a little bit frustrating because for me, who gets codes for all this stuff and has access to the complete Company of Heroes 2 expansion, you know, that's great. Look at look at all this look at all this freedom of choice I have. But if but I still come back to A, there's a few things I like better about Company of Heroes 1 still. And B, I can tell you today, go spend twenty dollars, get Company of Heroes 1, and you get a ton of stuff and it's great. If if I have to tell you like well here's what you need to get started with Company of Heroes two, I don't have, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> yeah, I think I think more is the right word for where Company of Heroes two is right now. Like when you fire up the game, the main menu has so many options, and if you're a random guy just wants to play an RTS and they see company of heroes two is on sale on steam. And so they buy it and then they download it and they get in there and they start looking at it. They're going to be so overwhelmed and confused about what to do and how to get it and why they have some things and why they don't have other things. And it's, and this ties back into the commanders too, is the the game is very, game designy in that you know the game designers put a lot of different stuff in there and there's a ton of different options and there's always a bunch of different choices that you can make um and once you are literate in comp- the comp- the language of company of heroes it's great and it's an amazing game and you have a total blast playing it but when i played first started playing company of heroes 2 it doesn't default you with commanders. So I went into multiplayer games and skirmishes against the AI and I didn't have any commanders and it didn't even pop up a warning saying, Hey, you might want to take some guys <laughs> oh, into no. battle so you can use those command points. Um, and this is just a case of, of the game having, in my opinion, like too much now. And so it, it overwhelms the player with choices and options um, that, you know, they all add great depth. And as a game designer, you know, I, I get that cur- that craving to add more stuff and, and make it more noodly and deeper. Um, but the game's super deep already. You could you could pull out commanders altogether and the game would probably be better. Like if you watch people who aren't really into Company of Heroes or Company of Heroes 2 play and you just look over their shoulder, their command points are off the chart. They aren't spending them, right? They just sit there. It's only the like, the hardcore that are using that mechanic. And so when you put things in that, like that, that 
average guys not using it or average players not playing with that mechanic, it's just another barrier to entry and there's depth in the game that they aren't using. And so that's, I think the original company of heroes, you know, you, you launch the game and there's a big button that says play and you hit that and it just takes you to auto match online. And it's like, there you go. You can just play the game. And that streamlined simplicity of, of like the menus and the flow and, and how the units were designed and the interface was designed it got more complicated with COH2, and I think that that creates a big barrier. It created a barrier for me, and I worked on the game for a year and a half. You know, so it's like, it's it's imposing, and it's it's hard for new players to come into that. Yeah, I think for me, Company Heroes One, there was kind of this straightforwardness that I liked, where you know you had these two factions, the US and the Wehrmacht, which are very, you know, very very similar, and then you had these two different factions that were very different. And so for me, it was kind of easier for my mind to parse that. It felt more straightforward. Um, I will say, though, that Company Heroes 2 has Arden's Assault, which I felt was one of the best campaigns that Company Heroes has. Hands it's just kind of, yeah, it is really, really well done, where you kind of lead your forces through this map, and you kind of choose which territory you want to do, and you get different resources for what you do, and it's it's done in a very elegant way that um, I'm not quite sure if it's good for a first-time Conheros player, but... It's really hard. But... Yeah, I'd imagine it's probably kind of tricky, but but, but yeah, if you get into it. It's so good, though. Like it, it, it might be some of the best single-player RTS that's ever been done, like, period. Well, and you know, some just... maps are... Like the victory conditions are different. Some are more traditional scripted missions. Others are very much like a multiplayer game, except it seems like in those settings, the AI has just enough maybe scripting in there to help it play the map really well, better mm -hmm. than the skirmish AI necessarily could. But like, so it preps you for multiplayer in certain ways. And then there's things like your troops losses are you're, you are drawing from a manpower pool, and you can actually run out of bodies uh, to send into the battle. No, it's 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 a tremendous <laughs> campaign. Yeah, and you guys did a, a podcast on that on Three Moves Ahead, and it was really good. Yeah, but but again, that's that's like I think that's like a forty dollar expansion. Yeah. To on top of the forty dollar Company of Heroes two uh, base game with the Soviet and uh, Eastern Front uh, Germans, and that's leaving aside the. I think the $20 Western Front armies with the U.S. and Overcommando West or the new $20, uh, you know, British Forces expansion. And, like, looked at, like, the whole the whole package, I I enjoy. I, like you, Shane, I question the inclusion of some of the stuff. Like, again, the bulletins in particular. Like, you can, okay, now, now your machine gunners and your riflemen, but only your machine gunners and riflemen get a 6% accuracy bonus what does that mean like what, what does that actually mean to me like like how's it going like how's like how's that going to affect things but even even setting this even setting that aside uh it's 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 kind it's kind of a big ask to tell someone like okay if you're gonna get all the way into company of heroes too here's what you've got to do but the the thing i wanted to to, to bring up to sort of counter my own point i wanted to ask you guys about this is you know is this how it has to be now because clearly games in general are probably underpriced for the amount of like 
like manpower that has to go into them to the amount of resources that are put into them. Uh, we're entering, entering a point where it, where it is harder and harder to get people to actually shell out, you know, a full 40, $50 for a game. And so you have to an extent, it, maybe you have to chop up a game this way and parcel it out and constantly upsell. Uh, and it, it, it just worries me a little bit, right? Because I kind of like the cleanness and the generosity of the Company of Heroes 1 experience, which was, here's the game, here's the expansion, here's the gold edition with both of them, enjoy. Versus this, which is this this very much like, well, you have this, but not that. It's like, it's like trying to figure out which pre-order edition of a AAA you're going to get. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too because they're also all expand alones. So each one can stand on its own. You don't need the original one to play it, which is I think it's good. But one thing I thought was interesting is when uh I was playing the British Forces on the weekend that they came out, an old coworker of mine from another company that I hadn't talked to in 5 or 6 years just messaged me on Steam and it's like, hey, you're playing Company of Heroes 2. And I'm like, yeah, are you? He's like, I started this weekend because I only play the British. And so all he did is he bought the British forces. And that's the only thing he bought and played. And so that's what he's been playing ever wow. since then. So that, that expand alone thing, can, well, he, he was British. So that's why, of course, he only plays the British forces. But um, <laughs> the expand alone thing does, it's, it's an interesting challenge, like you said. Like, the $60 game is a really hard thing to do, and the $60 PC-only game is an even more difficult thing to do. Um, and I think expandalones from a standalone product experience and value are really good from a what do I need to do to buy, to play, to get into and experience this whole thing is terribly confusing. And so... Yeah, it's it can be good, but it can also be really, really confusing about what you have and what you don't have. I think that on paper, I think it sounds like a really, really good idea of let's make this game available to play for 20 bucks. I mean, you'll get a smaller amount of it, but you can still play it. And so if I just want to try it out, yeah, I can do that, no problem. But I think like you were saying, that process of doing that is a little bit more hairy than it can than it should be, maybe. So I'm wondering maybe if it's not so much the actual concept, but just just the way that it's being done right now. So um to wrap this up, I I, I am curious because, you know, despite the reservations I just said about Company of Heroes 2, I think by and large I'm back on board. Like, this was, like, it, it isn't just that I enjoyed the UK forces, though I, I really do enjoy that faction design. I, I enjoy the, uh, you know, two or three really clear different lines of play uh, you can you, you can take with, with that army. Uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed what they add, but the best effect is they got me back in the Company of Heroes 2 and, and sort of to appreciate how it's, how it's evolved uh, since it came out. And now I'm playing with all the armies, and I'm really having a great time with the game once again. Uh, I'm curious whether or not, like, wh where are you guys at with uh, Company of Heroes 2 overall? Do you think it sort of has lived up to your memories of of, of the original? Uh, I'm, I'm, I just want to take your temperature on on this latest edition. Uh, I think Arden's Assault has kind of it kicks it up a notch for me. Uh, I think I still, for multiplayer, I'd probably still go back to Company of Heroes One, but Arden's Assault is my single player go to. 
Yeah, for me, it's uh, this got me back on the Company of Heroes bandwagon in, in a in a really bad or good sort of way, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Like after we played a a game last night, uh, a couple of comp stomps. And after we wrapped up, I had dinner. And after I had dinner, I sat back down and played Company of Heroes until, you know, late into the night. And uh, I haven't done that for a really long time. And I think that COH2 really does it for me. I agree with Brendan. You know, Arden's Assault is a great campaign. And it's one that you can play multiple times, which is really difficult in an RTS campaign to uh, have that replayability. So I think that that's great. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm on board. I think it's... But like you said earlier, if somebody was like, hey, I really want to get into Company of Heroes, I'd either say wait for a Steam sale and just buy the whole bundle or go and get the original COH Gold Edition and just drop in because uh, it's a more inviting experience, a more accessible experience. Um, but COH 2, um, after this, I don't think I can go back. I like the variety of armies. Um, and it has you know a lot of the same maps as the original COH as well. So I like it a lot. All right, so uh, we will leave it there. Uh, you can get the if you just want to dip your toe in the waters, you can get the you can basically you can get any part of Company of Heroes two separately from all the others, uh, or you can or you can drop that Benjamin uh, for the for the full game, uh, but. That will do it for this week's episode of Three Moves Ahead, which is produced by Michael Hermes and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show or discuss this episode with our community by visiting our website at threemovesahead.net. We'd also appreciate it if listeners would rate and review us on iTunes, which helps us grow the show and provides us with useful feedback, especially since most of our reviews are getting pretty long in the tooth now. Uh, reviews from 2009 really don't help me too much on figuring out what's working uh, with the show we're doing these days. Uh, you can, Anyway, you can follow Through Moves Ahead on Twitter, where, where we are at 3MA. Uh, you should also cruise over to idlethumbs.net, home of the Idle Thumbs Network, to check out the rest of the great shows we do there. We'll be back next week with another edition of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.